Amen. Well, life doesn't often give us uh, second chances. Most of the time you get one chance, and that's it. Think about that. If you had the chance to go back in your life and have a second chance at something you missed out on or something you missed, what would you go back and have a second chance on? Maybe you go back to that relationship that, that you would have worked on more. Maybe you go back to those, that one moment that comes to mind where you spoke harsh words and you can never get those words back again, and you do that over. Maybe you go back to a career choice that you regret and would choose something different. Maybe you go back, um, maybe you break a little bit sooner at an intersection. Maybe you go back and, and undo that foolish high school choice that you made that seems to haunt you forever. Or maybe you go back and you'd, you'd take advantage of an opportunity that you missed, and you'd say, yes. To that chance. If you had a second chance, wouldn't that be great? You know, if, you, if you're a golfer and you golf with nice guys, they give you a mulligan, right? You get one mulligan where if you, if you just botch that drive, you can just take it again. Have a second chance. Wouldn't it be great if life gave you mulligans, right? If the IRS gave you a mulligan, right? You back taxes are owed. They come knock on your door. You say, I'll take my mulligan on this one. And you don't have to pay. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome if your teacher would give you a mulligan, right? You didn't take that calculus test seriously enough and you fail. Wouldn't it be great if you just go to your teacher? I'll take a mulligan here. If your spouse gave you a mulligan for when you forget their birthday or their anniversary, right? No cards, no nothing. She lets you know because it's always the guys who forget, right? She lets you know about it and just say, I'm going to cash in my mulligan here, please. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a second chance? But that isn't the way... Life usually works, is it? That is the way that God works. Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John 3, page 1029. Here in John chapter 3, we get to listen in on a conversation that Jesus has where he reveals his plan to give people a second chance. See, Jesus here in John chapter 3 is talking to one of Israel's political and religious leaders, Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. But he's a Pharisee who's, who's interested in what this Jesus is teaching. He's open to, to trying to comprehend and understand. And so he schedules this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, and we get to listen in. Start at verse 1 with me of John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. So no, he's a big deal here. He's a big wig. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now pause there in our reading for a moment here. Because here's one of these once-in-a-lifetime experiences that you don't get a chance, a second chance at. You only get one shot 
at being born, right? You only get to do that once. Doesn't matter if you wish that you were born in another state or at another time, if you wish your birthday was a different day, if you wish your birth story were maybe more exciting or, or less exciting, doesn't matter. You don't get to do it over again. You get one. You can't change it. One birth is all you get. And I'm sure all you mothers here are saying, thank goodness, once is enough. Here Jesus tells Nicodemus, he tells us, that we actually get a second chance at this. In fact, a second birth is not only a chance that we get, but it's a requirement to get into the kingdom of God. We must be born again. Which, of course, confuses Nicodemus to no end. It confuses him completely, and we can't really blame him, right? What a ridiculous thought. How in the world could somebody have a second chance at being born? How could they start life over again? How could they experience new life when they're already old? It doesn't make any sense. And it's Jesus' explanation of this mystery that gives us some of our most known and some of our most loved verses in Scripture. Listen to the rest of this, this encounter with Nicodemus. Pick it up again at verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you, should, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, here's Nicodemus. Know that Nicodemus is a very, very smart man. He's a, he's a theologian who knows his scripture backwards and forwards, inside and out, right? As, as a Jewish spiritual leader, any Jewish young boy, any Jewish young man is required to memorize 
the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had them all memorized. He knew all the stories. He knew the scripture. He could argue theology with the best of them and answer any question that came his way. But he's stumped here. He is stumped by Jesus' born-again requirement. So Jesus, again, here begins to explain to him in verses 5 through 7 what, what it's really all about. He makes it clear that Nicodemus, first of all, heard him correctly. Right? He again restates the truth. Yes, you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. But to begin to help Nicodemus understand what he's saying, Jesus tries to reset his theological understanding by explaining some basic categorical boundaries here. Right, verse 6. We, we read over it rather quickly because we don't exactly know what it means. Right, He says to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, now Nicodemus... He's thinking all about this flesh and bone of ours, right? What would it take to be physically born again? And he correctly surmised that, that it's impossible. You can't be reborn. Okay? But, but more than that, Nicodemus is also relying on the actions of his flesh, these hands, these bones, to earn him salvation, to be born again into the kingdom of God. Right? You see, and Nicodemus needs to understand here, Jesus knows, he needs to understand that all of his earthly wisdom and all of his earthly goodness and all of his ability to keep the law, which the Pharisees were so good at, right? All of his striving to do what God commanded him to do in order to earn the kingdom of heaven won't do it. It can't get him that spiritual rebirth. And that's what he's teaching everybody. It's what you do with the law. It's following the law of God. It's what you do if you're good enough. If you do enough, then you'll be born again, spiritually, for eternity. Well, Jesus makes it clear to him here that he's living and he's teaching impossible expectations. Because there's categories here that we must recognize. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Of course, like produces like, right? You get a male dog and a female dog together, and they're going to produce puppies, not kittens. Horses produce horses. Plants produce plants. People produce people. And us sinful people produce broken and sinful things. We are tainted by sin, and everything we do and everything we are is tainted by sin. So if you're looking for this physical flesh and bone, if you're looking for your good works to earn you spiritual salvation, you're going to be disappointed, Jesus says. Our spiritual salvation only comes from the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. So, so he asks the question, the follow-up question that all of us would have asked. Many of us still ask when we read this passage. How can, how can this be? This whole born-again thing. How can it be? How in the world does it work? 
How can I experience a rebirth of my spirit then if it doesn't come from what I do? How can I start a new life and be born again? Instead of trying to go point by point and teach Nicodemus, Jesus gives him a picture. He points him back to an Old Testament story from the book of Numbers that Nicodemus knew well. Remember, he memorized that whole book. And he studied it. It's a story that maybe you and I don't know so well because how many of us spend a lot of time in the book of Numbers, right? We don't go there very often. But he says to Nicodemus in verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And that brief reference would have brought to Nicodemus' mind a whole Old Testament story that he knew so well. And if ever there was an Old Testament picture, an Old Testament image of Jesus, Numbers 21 is where to look. In fact, take out your Bibles again. Turn back to Numbers 21 with me. Way back towards the beginning of your Bible, page 151. 151, Numbers 21. While you're looking it up, let me set the scene for you. Okay, the people of Israel, they're in the middle of their, the whole nation is in the middle of their 40-year wandering in the desert. And it isn't going so hot. Actually, it's very hot, which is probably part of the problem there. So, so they come to the nation of Edom and they want to cross through Edom to get to the other side. And, and the, the king of Edom, in response to their request that they peacefully walk through the land, hauls his army out on the border and says, don't you dare cross this land. You do not have permission to come through. And the people of Israel want to fight. They, 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 they know God's on their side. They want to take him down. And God tells Moses, don't fight. Step away, head back into the desert. And so now they find themselves in the most inhospitable land that they've been in yet. They are now in the desert part of the desert. And, and they're sick of it. They are tired. They are feeling defeated. They're homeless. And they're sick of wandering. And they're sick of waiting for God. And they're sick of Moses bossing them around. And they're sick of trusting that God will do what's right when it's been decades and nothing seems to have been going right. And they're sick of eating manna every single morning and every single day. And so listen to verses 4 and 5. So as they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God. They spoke against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. This, this is a, a pretty significant a pretty significant fist shaking in the face of God. Right? This is more than a complaint about the dinner menu. This is more than just a complaint about the manna. This is a complaint directly against God and his purposes and his plans. This was a rejection of his goodness to them. This was a rejection of his grace that is showing up every morning, keeping them alive. This was their declaration. God, we're better off without you. 
We would be better off if you had never come back into our lives and just left us back there in Egypt. We're sick of you, God. We're sick of your plan. And we wish you weren't a part of our nation and a part of our life. Pretty radical words. Words that we probably say. That we do. We, maybe we aren't that vehement. Maybe we don't say them out loud. But how often do we tell God, God, I wish you weren't in my life. We say it every time we choose sin over his direction in our lives, right? We say, God, I think I know better. I'm sick of your plan. I'm sick of your rules. I'm sick of your regulations. I don't trust you. I'm going to do it my way. Every time we cross that line, remember that line that God gives us and says, and this side is goodness and blessing and health. And we say, I don't care. I'm doing it my way. We join right along with the Israelites and say, I'm sick of you, God. I'll do it my way. I'd be better off without you. And so God listens to them. God says, okay. There you go. I'll step away for a little while. And it doesn't take long for them to come running back to him. Listen to verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And so, so these snakes come into the camp. People are being bit. The poison is running through their system, and they have no idea how to cure. There is no cure. People are dying slow, painful, agonizing deaths, and they are completely helpless in the face of this poison. In the face of their helplessness, look at what they do. Their first step is to confess their sin. Verse 7, they humbly come to Moses and they say, we sinned. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord. We sinned when we spoke against you. They confess their sin, and in doing so, they place themselves completely at the mercy of God's grace. But they know there isn't anything they can do. They cannot save themselves. They totally depend on God's mercy. They totally depend on God's grace here. And God, who is rich in mercy, doesn't say, no, you told me to shove off, so I'm going to... No. He comes to their rescue again, as he does so often. And... And of all the ways he could have chosen to rescue them, listen to what he does in the end of this story. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked at the bronze snake and he lived. A bronze snake on a pole sits in the middle of the camp. And anyone who has this, this snake's poison coursing through his or her body, all they have to do, make their way to the middle of the camp, look up at that snake on the pole, 
believe and be healed. Believe and they're given life from certain death. They're given a second chance. They are born again, right? Certain death and they're born again. It's an absurd remedy. It's absurd. Right, in our era of medicine, with our knowledge of illnesses, with our knowledge of cures and the poisons, with drugs, antibiotics, all of us here, I think, are smart enough to know that there is absolutely no scientific or therapeutic value to a bronze serpent up on a pole. Right, if you go to the doctor tomorrow because you're fighting some infection and your doctor says to you, here's my prescription for you. Go find that statue, that, that, that statue in the middle of, of the city of Granville and go stare at it for about an hour and you'll be healed. You go find a new doctor, guaranteed, right? But that's exactly the heart of this story. And that's exactly the point that Jesus wants Nicodemus to see. God's absurd cure conveys an important truth, the most important truth. See, all they needed to do was look and believe and they would be saved. This remedy, this, this snake on a pole, is all about pointing people back to their faith in God. God is the giver of new life, not the snake, not the bronze, not the, not the pole. Second chances are given by God's grace and by God's power. Jesus tells Nicodemus a second birth story, a rebirth story that he would recognize from Numbers 21. And then he points Nicodemus to a cross upon which he soon would die, Jesus would. Jesus places the cross that is about to come, places his wounds at the center of his answer of what it means to be born again. He says, as, as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, that story that you know, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He tells Nicodemus this Old Testament story is about to be lived out again. Jesus will be put on a pole and he will be lifted up. The same word used for lifted up is the exact same word for crucified. He will be lifted up. He will be crucified. And everyone who has bitten, been bitten by the serpent, by Satan, as, as we heard earlier from Genesis and Romans, anybody who's got the poison of sin running through their bodies, all they have to do is look and believe. And they'll be given a new chance at life because the truth is when you've been bit by, by the, 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 the serpent of sin, which all of us have from our very birth, there is nothing you can do to heal yourself. You will die from that poison. You will die for eternity. And there's nothing you can do to heal yourself. But if you look to Jesus, and if you believe, you can be saved. It's a seemingly absurd plan, but it's God's plan. 
It's God's great gift to you and to me. By grace, we have been given a second chance, the opportunity for a new life, the opportunity to be born again. Born again. This new birth is a spiritual birth that starts with the Spirit. You and I are given a second chance spiritually. And honestly, probably some of us here are yawning right now because we don't think we need a second chance. We like our lives the way that they are. We're satisfied with who we are. We're pretty good, and pretty good is good enough. We're better than most. God's got to appreciate that about me, right? And the truth is, I don't, maybe I don't want my life to be totally cleaned up. Right? I, yes, I've been bitten by the serpent. Yes, we all have been. That's the truth. We have poison coursing through our veins. We're born with sin. We deserve death, and that's what's coming our way. That poison will kill. And the cross now gives us the opportunity to start again, this time with the foundation of grace instead of sin. It's at the cross that we are healed. It's at the cross that our sin and our guilt is washed away. It's at the cross that we find life. And it's at the cross that we are saved. And that new birth, that new birth transforms us not only for who we will be for eternity, but it transforms us here today. Remember Nicodemus' mistake? He thought that physical obedience to the law could transform him spiritually. His good works could make him right with God, right? Well, it actually works exactly the opposite. In this internal spiritual rebirth that we experience through the cross, it transforms us not only for eternity, but it transforms us for today. This new birth changes who we are. I can only imagine if I was an Israelite who had been bitten by a snake, and I looked at that snake, and I, and I found healing, and I found life, that I would live my life differently, knowing I've been given a second chance, knowing I should be dead, but now I'm alive. In the same way, for those of us who have looked up at the cross of Jesus Christ, who have believed, who have been changed, who have confessed and have been washed clean, we have a chance at a second life. That gratitude should change how we live today. Right? And that process of new life starts with the cross. Right? Just like the snake up, raised up in the desert saved the people of Israel physically from the poison of the serpent, right? It was a physical rebirth. So Jesus raised up on the cross will save those who look to him from the poison of sin within them. We'll give them a spiritual rebirth. The cross is the center of this invitation to be born again. It's by his wounds that you and I are saved. I probably haven't told most of you here much of anything that you didn't know already this morning. We've heard it. We know that Jesus saves. But we need to hear it again. We need to see Jesus lifted up and look at him again. 
Because even though we know this truth, we still live like Nicodemus so often. Just like Nicodemus, we, we fall into the trap of believing that there's so much that we need to do for this salvation process, right? I need to know more. I need to do more. I need to serve more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to study more. There's so much more I need to do because I need to impress God with what I'm doing here on this earth so that he'll give me the eternal life that I'm hoping for so that I can be born again. I've got to be good enough to have that happen. And we're busy working hard to try and impress God with all that we do. And we're looking to ourselves to make it happen. And Jesus' message here to Nicodemus, who's preaching that truth, is just the opposite. All we need to do is look to Jesus. All we need to do is confess that we can't do it on our own. Confess that we've blown it. Confess that we're dying. Look to him and accept what he's done. Because that new birth, that new life was accomplished on that cross. What do we need to do? All we need to do is believe. Right? Jesus declares that three different times in, in some of these most popular verses of the Bible. Right? John 3, 15, 16, and 18. Verse 15, he says, Everyone who believes, everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. Verse 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes. All it took was belief to look, look up at that snake, believe, and you're healed. All it takes for us to be healed is to look up at that cross that's empty now and believe. Are your eyes set on that cross? That cross is the message from God that Jesus came to give you and to give me a second chance. And that second chance is yours if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if you admit that you need him and his grace and his forgiveness. Then new life is given as a gift. But the truth is not everybody takes the gift, do they? Some people walk right on past the offer. Sometimes we do too. We'd rather hold on to some of that sin in our lives, wouldn't we? We don't always want a second chance. We don't want to leave this life that we've come so comfortable with, even with its sin and with its brokenness. We don't want to leave our materialism, because it sure is fun being materialistic, isn't it? We don't want to leave our pride. We don't want to leave our greed. We don't really want to leave our gluttony. We don't want to leave our life of sin. So we choose our own guilt over the grace that Jesus offers. We choose this life over rebirth. So thankful that Jesus never takes away his offer. That pole with the snake that was in the middle of the camp, it's gone. You can't find it anymore. The cross of Jesus Christ is there forever. And he patiently waits, his cross lifted high, hoping that you will see it, hoping that you will choose life, 
hoping that you will believe and receive new life, a second birth in him. We're going to take a moment to pray again that we might be born again. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you know the life that we live. You know our brokenness. You know our sin. You know the poison that's running through our veins that will kill us. We deserve eternal punishment because we've rebelled against you. We have, in small ways and large ways, declared to you and declared to the world that we are sick of you. And we prefer to do it our own way. Father, you know that poison. And you know how much we even love to hold on to that poison. And yet you've given us the opportunity through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who hung on that cross and paid the price that it took to counteract that poison of sin and to open the door of your kingdom to us. The price that it took that we might be born again, that we might grab life from the snatches of death. Father, give us the courage to confess our own weakness, to confess our own ability to see and recognize the poison within us and to humbly come before you and ask you to help us and ask you to save us and give us the faith to look at that empty cross where Jesus hung and to believe that by your power, by your goodness, and by your grace, we are born again, guaranteed eternity with you. And we are transformed in this life right now. Thank you, Father, for the new life that we are guaranteed to live in the future and that we get a taste of here. Father, as Moses lifted that servant up and people saw, looked, and believed and were healed, May you heal us as we look at Jesus' cross, as we confess and believe and are healed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please? It is that cross that has immense power, the power to heal, the power to forgive, and the power to save. And so with our last song, we are going to hold up the cross. And I hope that in your heart, you will look up to that cross. If you've never done it before, and maybe for the first time, you'll look and you'll see and you'll believe. Or maybe, maybe you've lived with the image of that cross for so long that, that its power has escaped you. That you don't even, you, you see, you don't even think about it. Maybe during this song, you'll look up at that cross in your heart and you'll see it in a new way. And you'll celebrate the power of the cross to give you new life. Let's sing together. Thank you.